wanted to share my story, my testimony, because I feel like we're in family. And what better way to, to end our journey than to share my story? And so the title of my message today is Coming Home. Coming Home. Oh, I know. I, I knew. Oh, Coming Home. And you know, there's really no place like home, isn't there? There's absolutely no place like home. And whenever you go home or whenever you're about to land in Manila after a long trip, you know there's no place like home. And, and, and pilots all seem to go to the same pilot acting school, right? They all have the same voice and, you know, we're about to land. And you can understand maybe every other word of whatever the pilot is saying. And the pilot is talking about the weather and he's talking about the time. And right when you land, there's this excitement. You're home. And right when you walk out of the airplane, the humidity just slams into your face. And there is a certain aroma that wafts through Naia one to four, all the same. And you know you're home. And your house is a mere seven and a half kilometers away, and it takes you about two and a half hours to get there. And that's when you know you are really home. How many of you would agree with me that there's no place like home? That home is where you feel safe, and home is where you feel secure. Home is where you feel like you belong. But today, I don't want to talk about home as a location or a country or a province. Today, when I talk about home, I'm talking about home in the presence of God. I'm talking about home being in the, in the Father's house. And today, when I talk about coming home, I want to read this text to you, and it's found in Luke 15, 11 to 32, and it's a, it's a famous story about the prodigal son about the lost son, and it goes like this. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told him the story. A man had two sons. And I want to stop right there because once upon a time, a man had two sons, and that was my father. My father had two sons, and my father was born in the late 40s, right when the Korean War was beginning. And in fact, in order to escape all the fighting, his whole family had to flee down south. And after all the fighting had stopped, Korea was such a poor country. And it was so war-torn and devastated that they would come to the Philippines and they would say, one day, we will have toilets like the Philippines. And my father was, was so poor that he was a compassion kid, a world vision compassion kid that others would have to sponsor him in order for him to survive. And recently, I found out that there was an old American couple that would send $10 every month. And if it wasn't for those $10, the family would not have rice to eat. And so it's from that environment that my family came from. And my mother found Christ, and she was persecuted for being a Christian. And later on, they married, and they, they dedicated their life to the ministry. And they came here in 1979. We are first, man. I don't care what any other Korean tells you, but we are the first. Anybody remember the love bus? 
I was taking the love bus from Malinta to Makati. And back then, there were no Samgyeop Salamats, there was no romantic baboys, there was just one Korean restaurant that all the Koreans in Manila went to. And I, there were, it was us, we were the first, and if there's anything you get out of this sermon, that's what you have to know. <laughs> that we were the first. And when I came, I, I grew up as a Filipino kid. Tagalog was my first language. And I, I would pick up the phone. Hello. And they, they really thought that I was, that I was Filipino. Show some of, the, some of the pictures when I was here in the Philippines. Right? That's me. Close your eyes, guys. Close your eyes. It's a little racy today. Right? And so... I grew up here as, as a Filipino kid. I spoke Tagalog, it was my first language. And you see, kids, the, kids these days, they grow up with Playstations, they grow up with Nintendo Switch. But you see, my toy was the tree. I would just climb trees. That's all I did, the guava tree, the mango tree, the duhat tree. And you know what I had in my pocket? And all the 80s kids would know this, you know what I had in my pocket? I had salt. I was too poor for a Watusi. I had salt because I would be up in the tree and I would be picking the fruit and I would be eating of the fruit in the tree. And people would come under and I'd just throw mangoes at their heads. They'd be like, who's that monkey up in the tree? Who's that Korean monkey up in my Filipino tree? And you see, I, I grew up here but deep down, I knew that I was not from this place. And though I spoke like a Filipino, acted like a Filipino, I knew I wasn't Filipino. And early on, I always wondered where my home was. And I could never quite find a home. I could never quite fit in. I could never quite belong. And at the age of seven, we, we moved to the States, and here I was, this Korean kid who grew up in the Philippines, and I was just trying to be American. I want to be like y'all, right? I'm trying to speak American, I'm trying to act American, and I'm trying to like just be American, just make me into a cheeseburger. I just want to be American. And I wanted to fit in so badly, and I don't know if you've ever felt this before, but sometimes you try to fit in so badly you do stupid things. And I remember there was, there was a time when, when it was lunchtime, and I got straight A's in lunch. And I was in lunch. That just went over your heads, guys. Come on, pay attention. And I was, I was in my American lunch line, about to get my American lunch, and there was a kid who cut in front of me. And I don't know what happened, but there was this anger that began to rise up. There was this, just this eruption, this internal eruption that was beginning. And all of a sudden, there was a word that came out of my mouth that I can't repeat in this room. <laughs> there was a four-letter word that just came out of my mouth without me even knowing what it meant, without me even knowing what, what 
context it was, and I just blurted it out. And everyone looked at me and said, but then not only did I just say it once, but I said it twice. And I said it three, four, five times. And all of a sudden, everyone just started moving away from me, and they started watching me. And they started watching this Korean kid just cursing at the wind, directed at nobody. And I wanted to fit in so badly. I had no idea what it meant, but I felt like I saw it in a movie once. I just kept saying it over and over and over again. And I got pulled into the principal's office, and he explained to me in graphic detail what that word meant. And all I wanted was just to go home. I just wanted to be in a place where I belonged, where I didn't have to try so hard to fit in. And I constantly asked myself the question, well, where is my home. And a couple of years later, I go back to the Philippines, and, and I'm now in Baguio. And those two years in the States, I lost all of my Tagalog. I, I was so fluent in Tagalog when I was a kid, and in those two years, I had lost 98% of my Tagalog. And here I was, just waltzing into Baguio. Hey, how you doing, man? Yeah, what's up, dude? What's up, bro? And all the people were just looking at me weird, like, who is this kid? And those four years, come on, I need you to just take a time machine with me. How many of you guys remember the first day of school? And I remember being the new kid four times in four years. And, and I absolutely hated, do you know what I hated the most? I hated attendance. I mean, you guys are so fortunate that you have names like Liz, Chris, Rap, your name's easy, Michael, James. And as they would go down the list of all the names, I would always know when they came to my name because I could see the utter look of confusion <laughs> in the teacher's face. Is this supposed to be William? Is this supposed to be a German Wilhelm? And I, I would cringe every time the teacher would try to stumble through my name. Ooh, Lim? And they would say it as if, are you serious? That's your name? And I would quickly shoot my hand up, and I would say, yes, that's, that's my name, and I just wanted to disappear. Where was my home? Can I just be somewhere where I'm known, where I don't have to try so hard to fit in? And one day, I was sent to this school, and I have no idea why my parents sent me to this school. It was at the Tagalog school. I don't know if... You guys have ever seen that school right across Burnham Park? It looks like a prison. It's called the Baguio Patriotic High School. I felt like I was in communist China. It was just, it was, it was, I, I was absolutely horrified. And I don't know why I went there. And, and I remember one time they said, hey, look, it's Christmas. 
And Christmas, we're going to do something special. And I was thinking, yes, I'm all about doing something special. And they said, for Christmas, we're going to have food. And guess what? You can wear something nice. And I'm thinking, well, what does that mean? Wear something nice. And our uniforms were khaki slacks and a white shirt, right? And we just marched. Everywhere we went, we just marched. Like, why am I here? And I said, okay, I'm going to wear something nice. And I'm a Korean. And nice equals a suit. Nice equals a tie. Nice equals something formal. And so I decided that I would wear black slacks and a white button-up shirt. And you can imagine the horror and the utter shock that I experienced when I walked in and every single person was in their jeans and in their colorful T-shirts. And there I was, this little Korean kid, trying to fit in with everybody else, wearing the nicest thing that I have. And I remember all the kids making fun of me. And they would point out to the teacher, teacher, look, look, look at Willem. They couldn't even pronounce my name right. Look at Willem, look at what he's wearing. And do you know those moments in a dream when you realize you're naked? That was me. I felt so small. And I felt like I didn't belong. And I just wanted to go home. I just wanted to be in a place where I was safe. And a couple of years later, I go to the States, and it's high school. And you know, fitting in, is, fitting in is important, but fitting in is most important in high school. And you know what's crazy about the 90s is that whatever you guys are wearing now is what we wore back then. <laughs> all the, you know, you, you guys are wearing baggy stuff, and you guys are wearing all these, these big clothes. You see, that's what I wore. And so here's this Korean kid trying to be American again, and now I'm saying, I'm going to fit in. And so I bought me the biggest pants I could. And I was just walking around. I was thinking I'm a gangster. And back then, hip hop was all the rage. So I had to walk around with, 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 with my hands right here. And we just have this walk. And, if, and if, someone, if someone was looking at me too long, I'd be like, hey, what you looking at? What? What you looking at? Right? It's so stupid when you think about it, right? Because they could be looking at you because you've got a nice shirt on. Or your eyes look pretty. I don't know. But, but I, would, I would pretend like I was a gangster. And maybe you're asking the question, well, what about Jesus? What about church? What happened to that? And you see, in the Korean church, we are the champions of church attendance. We not only go to church all day on Sunday, but we go to church on Wednesday because we need God midweek. But not only do we need God Sunday and Wednesday, but we need God on a Friday, end of the week. And so we were going to church every single week for three times a week. And so I know all the Bible stories. I was leading worship up there and I was telling people, why aren't you singing? Don't you know this is for Jesus? But you see, there's a big difference between being in Christ and in the church. 
just because you're in the church, it doesn't mean that you're in Christ. And you see, the church can help you be in Christ, but you need to understand that there's a massive difference between being in Christ and in the church. And the apostle Paul doesn't say, well, in church, you're a new creation. He doesn't say in church, there is no condemnation, but he says it is in Christ that you're a new creation. In Christ, there is no condemnation. But you see, I wasn't in Christ. I was in the church. And the only God that I knew was a heavenly policeman that patrolled my life just waiting for me to mess up, waiting for me to do something wrong. And for me, Jesus was all about rules. It was all about restriction. And the church was all about the things that you could not do with your life. And so when I went to high school, my eyes were opened. It's like Aladdin in a whole new world. I'm like, oh my goodness, I can do that? Oh my goodness, that's possible? And you know, in high school, people started driving cars and so we could get around. In high school, you could start working. And so we started working at this restaurant. And you know what work means? It means money, baby. And so we'd go clubbing every single Friday. And in my heart, I told myself, I don't want to be home. I don't want to be in my father's house. I don't want to have anything to do with God. I don't want to have anything to do with church because everything that's in here is all about restricting me. And you see, the younger brother said the same thing. He said in verse 12, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. And if you ask anybody from this part of the world what this son did, it is completely unthinkable. A son going up to his father and saying, Father, give me my share of the estate now, is the same thing as saying, Father, I wish you were dead. And this son wanted to be out of the house so badly because he thought that what was out there was better than what was here. And I felt just like this son. I said, I want to leave. I want to go. And in fact, if the son ever did that, what they would do is that they would take this pot and they would crush the pot on the ground and it would break into hundreds of pieces, pieces that you could never put back together. And these pieces represented the brokenness of the relationship between the son and the father. And so the son goes off into a distant land and he wastes all his money away in wild living. And that's all I wanted to do because I thought that what was out there was better than what was in here. And so there I was in high school, just wanting to do whatever I wanted to do, just wanting to fit in, just wanting to be home. And just a couple of weeks ago, we were driving by this neighborhood and I told this story to my kids because we passed by this one neighborhood where 
one day I was so desperate to be accepted, I resorted to a life of crime. And, and back then, we were all about the lowered cars, right? And the, and the mufflers and the exhausts. And there were these special kinds of rims that you could steal from somebody else and you could sell it for $400. That was equivalent to a million dollars for me. $400. And so there I was. I'm going to steal some rims. And I was there, and I, I remember the night like it was yesterday. I was in all black. Are you sure you want to send me to Korea? I was in all black. And I thought in my mind it was going to be like NASCAR. It was going to be like F1. <laughs> Done. It's going to be like cars. But I was there for four and a half hours. And I could literally hear the people watching TV upstairs. And as I painstakingly tried to take one rim and by myself carry that one rim to my car and then go to the second rim, after four hours, I left this car on bricks. If any law authorities are watching, this exceeds the statutes of limitations. I just wanted to be so accepted. I just wanted to be home. And I thought that I could do whatever it took for people to accept me, for me to feel like I belonged. And you see, in 1996, my, my parents decided to come back here after they finished their studies and finally, 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 I was free from the shackles of mom and dad. Anybody feel the same way? Can I get an amen? If, you're, if your mom and dad are right next to you, don't, don't just, just give me one of these, right? Oh, sorry. Not talking to you, little guy. And I remember my parents coming here and me staying in the States. And for some people, college is about academics. For some people, college is about pursuing your life goals and your dream. For some people, it's about networking and trying to find the people who will help boost your career to the next level. But for me, it was all about freedom. It was all about liberation. It was all about no one can tell me what to do anymore. I hated going to church. Anyways, God was just a mean, heavenly policeman anyways, and my parents represented that. So once I had freedom, I said, I'm free. No one can stop me. No one can tell me what to do. My Wednesdays are free. My Fridays are free. And thank God, my Sundays are free. So I stopped going to church, and I... I just dedicated my life to the pursuit of pleasure. Wow. Just partying. That's all I did. And the other day, I was packing my stuff, and I looked at my college diploma. And I said, God, this is the first miracle that you ever conducted. First, you turned water into wine, and then you gave me a college diploma. <laughs> I have no idea how this happened because my life 
was just a blur. And you see, what turned into just, hey, I want to have fun, began turning more and more into the hard stuff. And you see, what began as pleasure now turned into an addiction. And I don't know if you've ever been around people who are addicted, but there's only one thing that they are pursuing is simply the addiction. And I remember my life would begin to slide deeper and deeper into, the, into this addiction. And I remember I, I started losing all my friends. And I started looking super, super weird. And I, I, I started acting weird and acting strange. And the only people that I wanted to hang out with were those people who are doing it with me. And our house was known as the drug house. And so all we would do is we would commit ourselves to just getting high. And we would just feed our addiction. And I, I look back at that point in my life, and there was no joy. There was absolutely no hope. There was no happiness. There was no contentment. And when I think about that part of my life, it was so full of darkness. It was so full of confusion. And the way I describe it is you're trying to fill your cup with water, but all you have is vapor. And you think that the more you do it, the more it'll fill, but it just leaves you more and more empty. And there I was, and just like the younger son who wasted all he had in wild living, he lost everything. He lost his friends. He lost his status. He lost all his money. And there he was, feeding the pigs. And the only thing that he wanted was to fill his stomach with what the pigs were eating. And then it says this. It says that when he came to his senses, in verse 17, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and, in, and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And so the son who is in the pits decides to come home because anything at home is better than whatever he has right now. And he's done the worst thing a son could ever do. He's disowned his family. He's brought shame to his family. But he says, this is better than what I have right now. And so he starts going home. And can you imagine the long journey that he has to walk? And this boy who hasn't eaten properly in how many months is starting to walk that journey? This boy who was once prideful, bashful, arrogant, is now going home defeated, weak, begging. But you see, it says that the father 
when he sees his son runs to him. And you see, I can imagine the father waiting day after day. He's waiting for his son. I can imagine him sitting in front of his house, looking at the horizon. And as the sun sets, he would say, I wish my son would come back home. And maybe he would see a figure start to to walk. And the father would say, oh, is that my son? Is that my son? Oh, I wish it was my son. And as the figure would come closer and closer, he would say, oh, that's not my son. And he'd wait there day after day. And you see, this is the picture of the father, our heavenly father, that he pursues you that he waits for you. And maybe one day he he looks at the horizon just like he's done for every day in these last couple months, and he sees this figure coming. And this figure looks familiar, but it looks different. And he asks himself, oh, is that my son? Oh, that can't be my son. My son is proud. My son is buff. My son works out. But this boy looks defeated. This boy looks lost. This boy just, that's not my boy. But you see, as as a son would continue to walk closer and closer and closer, I can imagine the father beginning to recognize, wait, that's my son. Wait, wait, I, I think that's my son. I just, wanted to, I just wanted to hold my son. That's all I wanted to do. I remember the day he was born. I just wanted to hold my son. I remember when he was a baby. Is this my son that's walking? And as a figure comes closer and closer, the father finally realizes, that's my boy. That's my son. And it says that he runs to his son while he was a long way off. And it's so important that you understand this because no one runs back in those days. Nobody runs unless you are a courier or unless you are a delivery man. You do not run. And especially a man who was of noble descent, you would not run. People would come to you, and they would address you, and you would not run because running would require you to lift your robe. And as you would lift your robe, you would expose your legs, and that was, that was embarrassing. That was shameful for a nobleman, but the father doesn't care. The father doesn't care about what he looks like. The father doesn't care about what the other people are going to say about him. All he cares is that his son is home. And so he runs to his son because that's all he's been dreaming about these past years is that his son would come home. And then the son begins his speech. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And the father just stops him in his tracks. And he said, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. 
get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we have been fattening for this special occasion, we must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the, so the party began. And the father doesn't even care about what the son says. And isn't it beautiful that it says that our God is not close to the strong, but is close to the weak? Isn't it beautiful that our Jesus is drawn to humility and repentance and not pride and arrogance? And it says that the father comes and he embraces him, and he embraces him, and he runs towards him because the villagers could begin punishing him. The villagers can start rebuking him. And so the father comes and he takes his reputation. And as he wraps his arms around the son, he's telling everybody else, this boy is mine. I've erased everything that he's done to me. That's our Jesus. That's our father. And I remember the day that I decided to come home. And as I told you, I, I was in the darkest season of my life. And I felt no hope for so many years. And I felt no joy for so many years and no contentment for so many years. And I was living with a bunch of guys, and they were all out of the house. And it was nighttime. And I had stayed up the night before, and I was somewhat intoxicated, and, and there I was, and I was just outside, and, and I was trying to get so intoxicated by another substance so that I could just sleep. And I hadn't gone to church for about four or five years after being in church for three times a week. And I hadn't heard the voice of God. I hadn't sang a praise song. I hadn't read a single word of the Bible but that night, suddenly, I hear a voice, and it says, think about God. And I remember that night like it was yesterday because there was a full moon to my left. And there was this massive tree that shot up in the air about 100, 150 feet. And I remember the silhouette of that tree being lit by the moon behind it. And I remember the voice said, well, think about God. And right when I said no, the wind started blowing harder. And I said, well, I don't want to think about God right now because I'm not in the right place. God, let me fix my life first, and then I'll come to you. God, let me be holy first, and then I'll come to you. God, let me just clean up all this mess, and then when I'm 35, and I'm married, and I have two kids, and I'm living a proper life, then that's when I can come to you. But how many of you know that you don't need to have your act cleaned up before you come to God. How many of you know that you don't have to have it all together? That in fact, it is his perfection that makes you perfect. And so I said, no, that's not the God that I knew. That's not the God that I was taught. The God that I knew was strict. The God that I knew would punish me for what I'm doing right now. And so I said no. And right when I said no, the wind started blowing harder. And the second time, the voice came. 
said, think about God. And the second time I said, no. And after that, the wind started blowing harder and harder. And for the third time, the voice said, think about God. And at that point, the wind started blowing so hard that all I could see on the left was this tree just swaying back and forth. And I could hear the wind. And in my house, there were window shutters. And the wind was blowing so hard that the window shutters started hitting the wall. I go, bap, bap. And at that point, I was so afraid and so scared because I had no idea what was happening to me. I knew I was intoxicated, but I'm not this intoxicated. And I was so scared that I walked into my home. And I don't know how I came from the front door, but suddenly I found myself on my knees in the kitchen. And for the first time in my life, I felt the love of God flooding my entire being. I wasn't in a church service. I wasn't singing praise songs. I wasn't reading the Bible. I wasn't praying. But at, at that point, I was on my knees, and I was weeping and weeping and weeping. And all I could feel was the love of God in my life. And you see, all those years in church that I had spent compared to nothing that one moment. That one moment when the father told me, son, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care what you're going to do. He said, come home. Come home because I love you. And I felt my father running to me while I was a long way off. And my father covering me from all the rebuke, from all the punishment, and from all the words of hatred that I was telling myself. And he was saying, son, I love you. Son, if you could only understand the depth, the height, the width of my love, if you could only understand just how much I've been pursuing you all these years, Son, come home. Come home. And you see, ever since that night, for 18 years, it's all about coming home for me. It's all about the love of God for me. And so when I'm being sent to Korea, I know what those kids are facing. I know why they're leaving the church. I understand. And come on, can we pray together as a church that thousands upon thousands would come home, not to a God that's going to punish them, not to a God that's going to judge them, not to a God that's going to rebuke them, but to a God with his arms wide open, running to them and saying, come home, son. Come home, daughter. I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for you. And I don't know where you are in your journey. And maybe you're far from home. 
Maybe you've walked away. And maybe you're here and you're just checking this out. God the Father is inviting you to come home. And I don't know about you, but I've been a Christian a long time, but I need to come home regularly. I need to come home every single day because I'm trying to fill my life with everything that isn't God. And God is saying, can I just be king over your life? Can I just be your heavenly father? Would you allow me to love you, son? Would you allow me to love you, daughter? And as I love you, just watch what I do with your life. And so today, today, I want to invite you to come home. Not to a place, not to a country, but come home into the presence of the Father. Can I ask you to just close your eyes and bow your heads and, and maybe you're just here and you don't know why you're here. And maybe you've been coming to church, but you've, you're in church, but you're not in Christ. The invitation is to come home to a person, not a building. And so if that's you and today, you want to say yes to Jesus. I want to pray for you. And I want to extend this invitation that has absolutely transformed my life to have fullness of joy, to have peace, to have power, to have purpose. And I want to extend that invitation to you. And so if that's you, maybe you've never said yes to Jesus or maybe you said yes a long time ago and you've walked away and you don't have an active relationship with Jesus. Oh, today is your day. And so if that's you and you want to say yes to Jesus on the count of three, would you just quickly raise your hands? And I want to pray for you. One, two, three. Would you just raise your hands right now? I see you. I see you. I see you. Anyone else? I see you here. I see you there. Over in the back, I see you. I see you. I see you over there in the back and the back left. Thank you. Anybody else would say yes to Jesus? Over in the back, I see you. Thank you. Thank you. I see you over there. I see you. Come on, you can put your hands down. And can we all say this prayer together? And this prayer is just an invitation for Jesus to come into our lives. And we're all going to say it together as a family. Can you say, Dear Heavenly Father, we humbly come to you today, admitting that we've made our lives all about us and so little about you. We want freedom and salvation. And so we believe that you walked among us, that you died, and that you rose again so that I can be forever with you. So please forgive me. Please forgive my sins. Make me into your son and your daughter. I want to come home to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we give God praise?